0: Father, we just come to you as we approach the new year twenty twenty and Lord, uh things look pretty good in America right now. We we are yeah, our economy's good. Uh we're at at peace uh uh just about uh, around the world right now, Lord, except in the Middle East, but but as far as America goes, Lord, we're 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 doing pretty good and and uh Lord we yeah we I think sometimes get to be complacent because of that. We, we take all of the blessings that you give us for granted, and Lord, we stick our heads in the sand, and we don't realize that, that times are really not as good as they might appear to be. Father, as we head into 2020 and we see the things that are happening in our nation today, Lord, uh, uh, it should alarm us all that, that things are uh, uh, not going that well. And Lord, I ask today as we look at this text that, uh, through this study, that you'll uh, show us uh, uh, just what we need to be doing uh, uh, and how we're to approach the new year. Lord, I just ask that you, by the power of your Holy Spirit, help us see what we need to do. And Lord, I do. I ask for every person in this room that 2020 is, is the best year of their life. And no matter what happens in our circumstances, we're going to see today, Lord, that by our, through our faith and uh through the righteousness that you've given us that, that twenty twenty can be a really good year. And so so help us to see that and as we look at this text and I ask you to bless our study today by the power of your Holy Spirit. I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You know today we're going to be talking about a little bit about the state of the Union, the state of the United States of America. Uh, it's it's interesting to me that only two days after the Congress voted to impeach President Trump, uh, uh, the, actually the House voted to impeach, impeach President Trump, the Speaker of the House called Trump and asked him to deliver the State of the Union address on February the 5th, 2020. It sounds kind of strange, isn't it? I mean, you, you're doing everything you can. I really, to, to, to almost break up the Union, and then you call in the president that you've impeached uh, to, to give you the state of the union that you're trying to destroy. So, so uh, uh, we'll, we'll get to hear that address on, on February the 5th. Uh, and I'm sure in that address, Trump is going to take a positive approach and he's going to tout all of the accomplishments that he's made in the last three years. Um, he's going to talk, I'm sure, about the economy. Uh, The economy right now is booming. The stock market's higher than it's ever been in in the history of the United States. Uh, He just signed, or is about to sign a trade deal with China that's totally going to boost our economy and their economy. Uh, He's signed a trade deal uh, with Mexico and with Canada that really benefits America. It's actually returned manufacturing jobs to America. Uh, uh, He's got a lot of things to talk about. I'm sure, you know, that he's going to update us on the wall and talk about the fact that the wall is being built and that that wall is, is uh, uh, stopping or slowing the flow of illegal immigrants into the United States of America. And, and uh, overall, his theme is going to be, hey, look what I've done. You know, America is great again, and if I'm reelected, then we're going to keep America great again. And it all paints a pretty rosy picture of where we are, but... But don't be fooled by what you hear. The United States of America is in not such good shape. And I'm not here to tout President Trump or put President Trump down, but, but, but we're actually in pretty bad shape, especially spiritually. I mean, I think we're in deep trouble spiritually. Uh, morally, we're past being corrupt. We're way past being corrupt. I mean, I think we're rotten to the core morally as a nation. Uh, uh, I mean, when parents can't even, even identify the gender of their children, something is really, really wrong with this country. I mean, can you imagine a doctor being your, bringing your child out and said it's a boy, and, well, we're not really sure about that yet. Uh, I mean, that, 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 to me, that is insanity. I mean, it it verges, it doesn't even verge on insanity, it is insanity, and the sexual practices that are being engaged in in the United States of America today are every bit as bad as they were in Sodom and Gomorrah when it was destroyed, and uh, uh, people are doing things that animals wouldn't do to each other. I was listening to a sermon by Chuck Smith the other day, it was from about 20 years ago, but but he read a letter from Ann Landers, and let me read it to you. It says, Dear Ann, please help me, I'm confused. I'm having an affair with two women at the same time, and I want to get married, but I don't know which one to marry. Please advise me, but don't give me any of that morality stuff. She wrote back, Dear Two-Timer, You say that you don't want any of that morality stuff, but it's that morality stuff that separates us from the animal kingdom. Therefore, I recommend in the future that you write to a veterinarian for advice. Now, that was written over 20 years ago, and and, uh, things have gotten a lot worse since since that letter was written to, to Ann Landers. I think we've reached the point that Paul speaks of in Romans 1, when a society is given over to its vile passions, and that's really what's happening in America today, and uh, uh, I doubt today that that there would be a newspaper around that would would uh, uh, even print a conservative comment uh, or, or conservative comments like I just read from somebody like Ann Landers. I don't think she would even be, be even be able to get away with that today because our First Amendment, which I think is the basis, the foundation of our democracy, our First Amendment is under fire. And what's happening is uh, that we're being put in a position where only, people can only speak what is politically correct. And if you disagree with the views on the left, then uh, they want to silence you, and that's where we're at right now. And one of our founding fathers, Samuel Ed... Adams had this once to say about all of that. He said, if ever a time should come when vain and aspiring men and women shall possess the highest seats of government who seek to rob us of our freedoms, then our country will, will stand in need of experienced armed patriots to prevent its ruin. That's where we're at. We certainly are at a point where vain and aspiring people are ruling our nation. But here's the problem. Those vain and inspiring people that want to rule our nation also want to take away any arms from any potential patriots. That's, that's what they're trying to do as we speak, because they believe that arms are dangerous to our society. Well, they are dangerous to our society. But Thomas Jefferson had this to say about the Second Amendment. He said this. He said, I prefer dangerous freedom to peaceful, uh, to peaceful slavery. And that's what we're going to end up with if if the left gets its way. And, 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 uh, but, you know, I wonder now, in our country, how many Americans even feel that way. They, they, they could care less about the Second Amendment, and they really could care less about the First Amendment. And so, as a nation, I believe that we're on the verge of anarchy. And so, it, it, it's really a pretty dark picture. The very fact that a partisan party, and I'm not a Democrat or Republican here, right, so this could go either way, but the very fact that a a partisan party could impeach a president of the United States, a freely elected president of the United States on drummed-up charges, just shows you that without the Lord's help, soon tyranny is going to replace the democracy that that, uh, we've had the last 200 years, the democracy that our founding fathers created, it's on the verge of collapse. So what's the state of the union? I'm going to tell you what the state of the United States of America is today. Our foundations are being destroyed as we speak. And if you don't see that, I, I, I feel sorry for you. I mean, you've got your head in the sand. The foundational principles that this nation was founded on are being destroyed destroyed. So, what do we do? As a church, what do we do? And when I, when, when I speak of the church, I speak of, 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 of the people who are born-again believers. I mean, what do we do to turn this thing around? Uh, what do we do as we head into the year 2020? Well, we can find an answer to that question over in Psalms uh, chapter 11, and that's where I want to head today. So, uh, if you will, go in your Bibles, about the middle of your Bible, to Psalms chapter 11. It's only seven verses, really short Psalms, so we won't be in, in, it, in it long, but it's, it's packed with some really good advice and encouragement uh, for God's people uh, in times when it seems like uh, the foundations of the country are crumbling around them. Now, you get a real good clue as to what we're to do, in times when the foundations are being destroyed, in the very title of this psalm. Look at the title of the psalm. It says, Faith in the Lord's Righteousness. That's the answer. That's what we do in troubling times. We put our faith in the Lord's righteousness and in the Lord's goodness, and that's that's what we want to do. All right. Now, if you look at this psalm, it tells us here it tells us that, that it was written by David. It's a psalm of David, and it was written to the chief musicians. We don't, we don't get the details. Excuse me just a second. We don't get the details of, of the occasion. We don't know exactly why David wrote this psalm, but we can guess at that because we know a lot about David's life. And, and he writes this psalm when it seems that when he's in deep trouble and it seems that his, the whole earth is being destroyed around him. I mean, his whole... The whole nation is being destroyed around him. So probably it came in one of two times. It came when Saul was king, and Saul had, had, had chased David out of town, so to speak. David was the rightful king, and uh, so, so Saul had hunted David, and he was seeking his life. It could have come at that time, or the other time, more than likely, and this is the time when I think it came, was when Absalom, David's son, rebelled against David, and tried to overthrow David and take over the kingdom. And I believe that's when it took place. You remember the story. We'll we'll assume that's that's what David was writing about, but let's let's rehearse the story of what happened. You remember Absalom, David's son. And David, I think, loved Absalom more than any of his other sons. But but Amnon, Absalom's half-brother, raped Absalom's sister, Tamar. And so uh, David didn't do anything about it. So Absalom took matters in his own hands and he killed Ammon. And then uh, David ran, uh, ran, uh, Absalom fled for his life and he was banned from Israel for several years. And then David brought him back into Israel. uh, You know, when Joab advised him to do that, he brought him back into the kingdom and he actually let him sit at the gates. And Absalom began to plot how he was going to overthrow his father. And so he sat at the gates as a judge at the gates and we're told in Psalms, I mean, in 2 Samuel chapter 15, let me just read for you here. You don't have to turn there. It says, he says, look, he, this is Absalom speaking at the gates to all the people that would come through. He says, look, your case is good and right, uh, but there is no deputy or of the king to hear you. Moreover, Absalom would say, oh, that I were made judge in the land, and everyone who has any suit or cause would come to me then I would give them him justice. And so it was, whenever anyone came near to him, or near to bow to him, that he would put out his hand and take his the man's hand who bowed to him, and he would kiss his hand, and then Absalom uh, did acted towards every person who came to the gate that way, and as we're told in the text, so Absalom stole the hearts of the man of Israel. So Absalom was really you know, buttering up these people. He was telling them, look, I can give you something David hasn't been giving you. I can give you justice. I can give you favor. I will, I will talk to you personally. David doesn't speak to you personally. He lives in the palace. You don't even get to see David. Make me king, and, and I'll do all of these wonderful things for you. He was a, he was a consummate uh, politician. And so he actually uh, sees an opportunity, and he seizes that opportunity. He gathers up an army of, of his followers, and he comes to... Jerusalem to take over the city David sees him coming now David has a choice he can can stay and he can fight or he can cut and he can run but David chooses to run he says arise and flee he says to the people or we shall not escape with our lives and that's exactly what he did he fled and he headed to the mountains. and so uh, uh, we know the rest of the story though David's army eventually defeated Absalom, and uh, Absalom was killed. Now, I think for the rest of his life, David regretted the fact that he didn't trust the Lord and that he fled in the face of this rebellion. And uh, and we see that in the psalm because uh, he learns his lesson. He knew better. Uh, Look at verse number one. Let's pick up in verse number one. He says, and he's, he, he's, he's determined now. He says, in the Lord I put my trust. And, and if the Lord tells you to run, you run. But you don't run until the Lord tells you to run. From now on, what David is saying is, I'm going to put my trust in the Lord. And then David says, he, he said, how did I, why did I do this? He says, how can I say or how could I say to my soul, flee as a bird to your mountain? You know, no doubt David was being advised by his his officers, his military officers. Look, Absalom's mounted this large army. He's probably going to destroy us. Uh, We need to get out of Dodge. That's going to be our only chance. And so he he listened to that advice, and he fled. But as he looked back on that decision, again, I think he regretted that decision for the rest of his life. He said, you know, I should have trusted the Lord. And from now on, I'm going to trust the Lord. I mean, how could I say to myself when the Lord had done all he had done for me? Remember what the Lord had done for me when he fought Goliath? Goliath was a lot bigger than Absalom. I mean, how could I say to myself, flee as a bird to the mountain when I know that the Lord was going to take care of me? I'm not going to do that anymore. From now on, I'm going to put my trust in the Lord. That's a good lesson for 2020, to put your trust in the Lord. I mean, I don't know about you, but, but, but the Lord's been pretty faithful to me. I, I mean, I've been saved for 30 years, and I can look back on every one of those years, and the Lord's been faithful to me. So I ought to be able, no matter what happens in 2020, no matter how bad things get in 2020, I ought to be able to say the, to the Lord, I will put my trust in you. But, you know, most of us don't do that. And, and, and at times, I don't do that. What I want to do when trouble comes, I want to cut and run. I want to flee. And I might not literally leave town, but I want to flee and just, just get away from things. I mean, I, I think we flee when we run and try to entertain ourselves. Uh, when, when people, people use drugs. They use alcohol. They use everything to escape the harsh realities of life. But... You know, you can go to a movie, but when you leave that movie, those, those, those realities are still there. When you watch that TV show, when the TV show's over and you finally cut the TV off, those harsh realities are still there. Uh, when you when you get drunk and, you, and, and to, to escape your troubles, when you sober up, those harsh realities are still there. So, so we're, obviously, common sense tells us that we're a lot better off trusting the Lord, putting our faith in the Lord. And look what? David says next. He says, he says in verse number two, he says, For look, the wicked bend their bow. They make ready their arrow on the strings, and they, make, they may shoot secretly of, of, of the upright of heart. If the foundations are destroyed, now watch this, and I think that's where we're at in America today. If the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? You know, i got to tell you, life is tough. I, I don't have to tell you that, do I? It's tough. Life is tough. I mean, trouble comes at us at, from all directions. And, and most of the time, it comes at us from wicked people, people that want to do us harm. And, and, and sometimes it comes from wicked people within our own family. That's what happened to, to David. I mean, here was Absalom, and he was... He was, he was Allowing Absalom to sit at the gates and be a judge, he had given him this important position, even though he had killed one of his sons. And, and Absalom, all that time, was bending the bow. He was plotting the overthrow of David uh, in a very sneaky and treacherous way. And, and so, so, I mean, David, David didn't do anything to Absalom to deserve that, really, what he was trying to do, but, he, but it came at him anyway. But you know what? It's not just the wicked that shake our foundations. There are a lot of other things that shake our foundations in life. Uh, th- the powers of darkness. I mean, we wrestle not against fl- just flesh and blood, but against powers and principalities in high places, Paul tells us. I mean, th- that is a battle, an ongoing battle every believer has. I mean, uh, just look at the acts of God that shake our foundations. I mean, tornadoes and hurricanes and floods. I mean, we know all about floods here in Lafayette. I mean, there, there's all sorts of ways that we can, we can run into trouble. I mean, people get divorced. There's bankruptcy. There's disease. There's the death of a loved one. There's a bad economy. There's wars. There's rumors of wars. I mean, there are all th- sorts of things that can, that can shake our foundation because we live in a really, really tough world. And you can hide your head in the sand all you want, but it's a tough, tough world. I mean, we all, you know, we're having fun about the ball game yesterday, but look at the serious issue that took place when, when all of these people died in that plane crash. It's a tough, tough world. And so at times, trials come at us in such a severe way that they make us wonder whether or not we're really going to make it
1: through those
0: trials. I mean, again, just look at this nation. You look at this nation right now, and I've already talked about this, but we are in turmoil. This nation is in deep turmoil. The foundations are being destroyed. Our government is broken. That's why we have what's going on in Washington going on right now. Nothing's really happening other than 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 anarchy, treachery, tyranny. And so we're in turmoil. Our national debt, we stick our head in the sand, but our national debt is at some point going to cause this economy to totally collapse, and we're going to go into another Great Depression. Uh, uh, We have very dangerous enemies. I don't know if you realize it or not, but you know the Russians have nuclear subs sitting right off of our coast? All of them armed with enough missiles to destroy every major city in the United States of America. I mean, and they're bending their bow. They're bending their bow as we speak, thinking of ways that they can bring this nation down. China feels the same way about us. They certainly feel that way about us in most of the Middle East because we support Israel. And then, as I said earlier, the moral fabric of this country is being torn apart. And here's what's really scary to me. Just like... Babylon is described in the book of Revelation. This, The United States of America has become a haunt for every evil spirit. I don't know if you realize how much evil, how much demonic activity. I actually personally believe it's taking place in our Congress right now. I believe it's all the way to the top, the demonic activity that's coming against this country right now. So we're in deep trouble. So what do the righteous do when the foundations are being destroyed? I mean, move to Australia, cut and run. I mean, what do we do? Let me tell you what we've got to do. We've got to face our problems. And how do we face our problems? Let me tell you how you face your problems in 2020. David gives it to it right there. In verse number one, this, this is really, he gives the conclusion of the matter right in the very first sentence there. In the Lord, I will put my trust. In the Lord, I will put my trust. You want a principle to live by in 2020? That's the principle you need to live by. It so, doesn't it sound very practical, but it's the most practical thing I can give you. In the Lord, you, you should put your trust. In the Lord, I will put my trust now why do I put my trust in the Lord that's what David answers next look at verse number four the first part of verse number four he says watch this I mean you you read the newspapers, you listen to the news you hear all the terrible things that are going on in this country right now and I just laid it all out for you again and you've got some terrible things going on in your life and 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 I've got some terrible things going on not really terrible I've got some things going on in my life that I wish weren't happening at times but but Here's what we do. Here's why we we trust the Lord, and here's why we can trust the Lord. Look at verse number four. The Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord's throne is in heaven. What is he saying there? The Lord is on his throne in heaven. He has no matter how bad things get in your life, no matter how bad things get in the United States of America, the Lord is on his throne. What's that mean? The Lord is still ruling and reigning over the affairs of man. And there's nothing that can happen to you, there's nothing that can happen to America that God doesn't allow to happen. He is in total control of things. Even the evil things that are happening in this country, he's in total control of those things. It's just like I said a couple of weeks ago. And, I'm, and I'm, again, I'm not so pro-Trump, I'm trying to preach Trump here, but I can tell you this right now, whether you're pro-Trump or not, Trump is going to be in office... In, in 2021, if God wants him there, nobody's going to stop him. Congress is not going to stop him. The electoral, uh, the, the popular vote's not going to stop him. If God wants him there, he's going to be there because God is still on his throne. And look what it says there. His eyes see everything. His eyes behold. I mean, he's, he, that means he's omniscient. That means he knows all things. He sees and hears all things. You think he doesn't see and hear what's going on in Washington, D.C. right now? You think he doesn't see and hear what's going on in your own life right now? He sees it all. He sees it all, and he hears it all, and uh, uh, he sees the works of the wicked, and he sees the plight of the righteous. He sees every bit of it. And since he's on his throne, and he sees it, then he allows it if it's taking place. And he can change it whenever he gets ready to change it. And, and he can take everything that's happening here and everything that's happening in America, even when the foundations are being destroyed, and he can turn them for your good and he can turn them for my good. Now, you know, i got to ask the question. If I was in David's shoes, Lord, why did you let Absolute do this? Now, David had some culpability here. But but why did you let Absalom do this? My own son. I mean, how could you do that, Lord? I mean, why would you allow him to rebel against me and overtake my throne? And and as Americans, we can ask the same question today. I mean, Lord, you see what the wickedness in Washington, you see what's going on in our country today, you see what's going on in our nation today. And, and, And if you're on your throne, then why don't you stop it? Why don't you stop it?
1: I mean, why do you allow it?
0: I mean, ultimately, the best thing that could happen in 2020 is the Lord return and he rules and reigns in righteousness. That's the best thing that could happen. But he's not coming right now. And I doubt very seriously he'll come in 2020. I mean, I'm, I'm hoping and waiting, and, 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 but I'm not betting on him coming. He's got a reason for waiting. He's got a reason for the foundations being destroyed. He's got a reason for wickedness seeming to rule and reign in in our nation. He's got a reason for the troubles in your life and my life. He's got a reason for it. He gives it to us in the last part of verse verse 4 and the first part of verse 5. Listen to what he says. His eyelids behold, his eyes behold, his eyelids test the sons of men. You see his reason? He's testing men. He's testing, he he, he knows we're going to fail the test or we're going to pass the test. He knows what's going to happen, but he gives us a test to show us where we're at. I mean, what he's doing right now with all of the wicked things that are going on in this country is he's trying to wake people up. He's testing the souls of man. He's testing all of America. And he's saying to America, is this what you want? Do you want tyranny? Do you want all your freedoms taken away? Do you want your economy to collapse? I mean, that's, I, I mean, do you want bad things to happen in your life? I'm going to let you do your own thing, and that's what's going to happen. So he's testing the sons of men, but specifically. That's really not his main goal. Specifically, look at the first part of verse number five. The Lord tests the righteous. Actually, I think the last part of four and five should go together. Because he, he says he's, test, he te- he's testing all mankind, but specifically, he's, the Lord tests the righteous. When the foundations shake and everything seems to be falling apart around us, the Lord has a purpose. A- and we know he has a purpose because we know he could stop it if he wanted to stop it. But if he doesn't stop it, He's got a purpose, and what's his purpose? What's his purpose? His purpose is to test the righteous through the trials of life. That is his main purpose. You know, we don't want to, how many of you like trials? If you raise your hand, you're going to make me sick. Don't raise your hand. I know, I hear people say, oh, I love trials. Okay, wait for the next one. No, you, you just haven't been through any difficult trials. No, none of us love trials. But God uses trials to test us, to to refine us as gold, to put us through the fire, to take away that dross, and and, and to to show us our faith, how real our faith is. I mean, there's times, I don't know about you, there's times I get to think, man, you really got strong faith. When everything's going my way, I think that way. Man, I believe the Lord, I love the Lord, I trust the Lord, oh, the Lord. You know, I sing to the Lord, everything's good, and then, boom, the rug's pulled out from under me, and that might happen to any of us in 2020, but the Lord has a purpose in that. What the Lord is doing there, he's showing me my lack of faith, I mean, because when those things happen, those bad things happen, and things get really bad sometimes, I don't act the way I should act. I don't act like a man of faith, and so so he tests our faith to show us that we really, where we're lacking in faith so that we can build our faith. And by building our faith, we build character. That's what God's trying to do through our trials. We studied a while back, 1 Peter and 2 Peter, and that's what that whole book is about, God building character through trials. Go with me a minute to 2 Peter, and you get a picture of this. It's 2 Peter chapter 1. In 2 Peter chapter 1, look at, look at verse, after the introduction in verse 1, look at the last part of verse 1. It says, To those who have obtained like precious faith. You know, I had somebody tell me, and I, I think the guy was a prophet that told me this, and it was really doesn't seem so profound, but it was really profound to me at the time, and it's stuck with me ever since. Early in my walk with Christ, he told me that the most precious thing I have is my faith. Well, you know, I, back then I was still thinking that I needed a car. That would be a lot more precious to me. My children, my wife are a lot more precious to me. But I've got to tell you, all of it works. Your relationship with your children and everything, your life works when you have faith, real faith, when you put your faith in the Lord. So, so we've, we've obtained precious faith. It's a gift of God, not of works unless any man should boast. So, so all of us have this precious faith. And, 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 and so to those who have obtained like precious faith with us by the righteousness of our, by our own good works, no, by the righteousness that we've been given in Jesus Christ, we have a relationship with God. We've entered into a relationship with God where we can speak to God and talk with God and God walks with us. God lives in us. That's how precious our faith is. And, 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 and what the trials are for are to take that faith and Use that faith to build character in us, and that's what Second Peter and First Peter are all about. Because look down, beginning in verse number five. For also this very reason, giving diligence, add to your faith virtue, to virtue knowledge, to knowledge self control, to self control perseverance, to perseverance godliness, to godliness brother kindness, and to brother kindness love. And for all of these things are your. For if these things are yours and abound, you will neither be neither you will be neither barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. You see what he's saying there? I want to, Peter's saying, add all these things to your faith, and when you're done, you have character. You have real Christian character. And God sends these trials along to test us to see if we have that character. God doesn't have to take me far into traffic to show me some of my lack of character are on the golf course with a group of friends. I, man, I did pretty good, but their character, bad character really showed up the other day. I'm teasing. We all did pretty good, actually, because we were all holding each other accountable. We were all tempted to throw our clubs into the lake, and we held on to them. But, but, but see what God's doing there? God is building character. Now, now, you just don't read this and say, okay, I'm gonna, you can add knowledge because you, you can study the Word of God. But you can't add virtue. You can't add patience. You can't add self-control. You can't add those things. those things. Those things come through your relationship with God, and that comes through trials. Character is built through trials. That's why James says, Count it all joy, my brethren and sister, and when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith Faith produces character. Perseverance is, is, is the word there, but, but it means character. It, it produces character. Trial produces character. So why does God allow all of this wickedness back to, let's go back to Psalms chapter 11, to test the righteous so that he can produce character in our lives? Look, I don't know about you. I've got to get back to this psalm here. I don't know about you, but when, when I see the state of the United States of America, and I'm living a good life all by myself over in Broussard and in my little church here, we got it good, guys. But at some point, those things are going to affect us greatly. And, and, and when I see what's happening to the United States of America, and these foundations are being shaken, and they're about to be destroyed. If God doesn't intervene, hopefully he's going to intervene. But when I see those things happening, it builds my faith. I mean, I don't have any faith at all in this government. There's a lot of people, you know what their faith is? It's in the government. I have zero faith in this government. I don't have faith in our military. I mean, our military couldn't stop a couple of planes from coming in and destroying those towers in New York. You don't think there's some other evil things out there that couldn't happen that our military couldn't stop look at that drone attack on saudi arabia that destroyed those oil fields i mean they had they were had artillery and air force and everything and they couldn't stop that from being destroyed so i don't have my faith in the military i don't have my faith in in uh the government and listen to this i don't have my faith in myself because god over and over and over again has tested my faith in myself, to get me to put my faith in him. That's where you want your faith. You want to have your faith in the Lord. Now, what about the wicked? What about some of these people up in Washington that are doing some of the most evil things in the world? In fact, I'm not going to name any names, but there's one guy up there. I didn't look at the guy tell he's possessed. I mean,
1: I, I mean, I'm serious. I think he's possessed. I mean,
0: how come they're getting away with that? I mean, I mean, David had to be asking, how come absolutely all these people got away with doing what they did to me? Listen, evil people, wicked people don't get away with anything. Look at what David says next. Look at... Look at uh, The last part of verse number 5. He says, but the wicked and the one who loves violence. Speaking of Absalom there, the Lord's, or his soul, the Lord's soul, what does he say? He loves him because he's an American or he's an Israelite. The Lord hates. Jacob, I have loved. Esau, I have hated. The Lord hates. If you're not in Christ, you're at enmity with God. Until you get in Christ, God is against you. And that's a bad place to be, to have God against you. You know, so much for this idea of this brotherhood of man that people talk about, that we're all children of God. That is not true. A vast majority of people of this world, God hates. They're wicked people, and God hates them. And and so this idea that everybody's going to heaven, that's malarkey. Everybody's not going to heaven. God's not going to bring people to heaven that he hates. The Lord hates the wicked, and he hates people who do violence to others, and their day is coming. When wicked people do wicked things to you, man, I tell you, the best thing you can do is just sit back Draw back and let God handle it. Vengeance belongs to the Lord. Really, the best thing you do is pray for those people. You pray for those people. Look, the Lord hated those people that were trying to bring down the Davidic kingdom. And I won't name names, but he he hates those people that are trying to bring this country down, too. No doubt about it. And they seem to be, you know, they seem to be doing pretty well. Most of them are pretty wealthy. Most of them never worked a day in their life outside of a government job, but, they, but, they, but they, seem to be, they seem to be doing pretty well. And a lot of them are millionaires. I mean, I don't know how you get to be a millionaire, you know, making a couple hundred thousand dollars a year in Congress, but most of those people are millionaires. Somebody's getting some money somewhere. And, and uh, they seem to be getting away with it. They seem to be prospering at what they're doing. Look at verse number 6, what the Lord says. Upon the wicked he will rain coals, fire and brimstone and a burning wind shall be the portion of their cup. You see what David's doing there? He's using what happened at Sodom and Gomorrah to describe the ultimate destruction of, of the wicked that's what he's doing now somebody at this point can say you know i've known a lot of wicked people who died at peace at sleep in their hospital bed well they died but they that's not the end of it that's only the beginning of their destruction listen to what paul says in second thessalonians chapter 1 verse 9 he says these shall be punished the wicked shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. And that's where the fire and brimstone comes in. That's what the wicked are facing. That's why, you know, it's not even a pleasant thought to think about what's going to happen to these people. Sometimes it is, I have to admit, but but it shouldn't be because it's pretty bad. Now, as we finish up, David, Concludes the matter in verse number seven, and I love his conclusion. Listen, look, listen to what he says. This is for you in 2020. Listen to what he says The Lord is righteous, he loves righteousness, and his countenance beholds the righteous or the upright. You get that? The Lord is righteous, he loves righteousness, and his countenance beholds the righteous. He says, for the Lord is righteous, which ties that to the last verse. He hates the wicked, and he's going to destroy the wicked because the Lord is righteous. And because he's righteous, he loves righteousness. And because he loves righteousness, he loves the righteous. You get that? Here's the problem. Read Romans chapter 3. I'm not going to go there. But Paul says in Romans chapter 3, there is none righteous. No, not one. All have gone astray.
1: Their mouth is an open sepulcher,
0: a graveyard full of dead man's bones. No one seeks to do good is what Paul says in Romans 3. There is none righteous. No, not one. Unless unless you're in Jesus Christ because Jesus Christ came at Christmas with a purpose and that purpose was to grow up and to head to Calvary, Calvary and to die for us on a cross shed his blood to pay for our sins so that we could have the righteousness of God he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might have the righteousness God. When God sees me in 2020, just like he has since 1989, when he looks at me, he sees the righteousness of God. And he loves the righteous. And not only does he love righteousness and love the righteous. Now, now when I've been, because I've been made righteous, I act righteously. Not all the time because I still have the flesh and the flesh forth against the spirit of the spirit against flesh. I'm not perfect, but in positionally, I am perfect. And because I'm perfectly righteous, God loves me. And look at the last part of this. He says, his countenance beholds the righteous. His countenance. What's it mean by his countenance? It means his gaze, his look. But it's much more than the fact that he just—he's omniscient, that he sees all things and hears all things. It's something much more here. I mean, he didn't look at David and say, "Man, that's a shame." You know, David is an upright man. He's—he's he's received by righteousness. Uh, he's, hes 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 You know, through him is going to come the Messiah, who's going to die for the sins of the world. That's a shame. I can't help him. No, no. He upheld his upright child by his countenance. His countenance is his wisdom, his power, his grace, and his love. And and, and all of those things worked in David's favor so that uh, David's kingdom was restored. And and, and he worked the same way for us. So, what do we do if we're a child? If you're not a child of God here today, and I'm talking about truly born again, and I've said this over and over again, If you're born again, you know you're born again. If you don't know you're born again, you're not born again.
1: When you're born again, you know it. But if you're not born again,
0: the the solution for you in 2020 is to get right with the Lord through Jesus Christ, to receive Christ into your heart and let him take over your life. And when you do that, you will receive the righteousness of God. Now, now, for all of us who have received the righteousness of God, that and we're children of God, what do we do in, in 2020? We put our trust in the Lord. We see our society crumbling around us. What do we do? We put our trust in the Lord in the Lord. We see evil people coming against us, what do we do? We put our trust in the Lord. We see hurricanes and floods and tornadoes and wars and rumors of wars, what do we do? We put our trust in the Lord. We don't flee to movies, we don't flee to to, and I'm not saying you don't watch movies or sports or any of those things, but that's not where you flee to escape trouble. You flee to the Lord. You flee to the the Lord and, and the Lord will give you the strength and power to face your problems head on uh, and and to find out soon, or find out in the coming year, that everything that happens in 2020 is going to work for your good. Everything is going to work for your good if you're a child of God and you're righteous because the Lord loves righteousness. He loves the righteous and his countenance upholds the upright. His glory upholds the upright. So what's the state of the union going into 2020? Pretty bad. It's really, really bad. Whether you see that or
1: not, uh, it's bad. We're in bad
0: shape. But I'm not here to discourage you today. What's the state of And I don't want you to answer this. I will answer this question. What's the state of George Llewellyn going into 2020? It's really, really good. Really, really good. And if you're a born-again believer, and most of you in this room are, let me tell you, going into 2020, the state of your union is really, really, really good. You know why it's good? Because the Lord loves the righteous and his his countenance, his glory, what we're talking about, his glory with his wisdom and his strength and his power, that his countenance upholds the upright, the righteous, because he loves every single one of you. You know what that tells you? I can make a promise to you. If you're in the Lord, 2020 is going to be a really, really good year for you, no matter what happens in this world. I'm not going to say it won't be tough but it's going to be a really, really good year for you. Let's thank the Lord for that. Father, we just thank you for your goodness to us. We thank you for the Christmas season where we we celebrate the time in which you came to this earth as a baby and and emptied yourself of your glory and died for us on a cross, Lord. How, How wonderful is that, that you would give us your very righteousness, Lord, we could never, never, never in our greatest efforts become righteous on our own. Lord, we, we wouldn't make it through a day without your grace. And we're so grateful for that. Lord, so going into to 2020, Lord, we, we can lift our heads high. Lord, we can, we, can, we can look to you and know that good things are going to happen to all of us, Lord, because you love us, because you have made us righteous. And we thank you for that righteousness, the righteousness that you've given us through Jesus Christ. It's in his precious name that I pray, amen.